Succeed in AMP, a podcast focused on the AMP instructor, where we are building a community of sharing ideas and best practices in anatomy and physiology for the success of all students everywhere. I'm Valerie Kramer, the marketing manager for AMP here at McGraw Hill. I emphasized all students because today I'm very excited to welcome the lead on one of McGraw Hill's most important initiatives accessibility. So I'd like to introduce Lisa Nix. Welcome, Lisa. Could you share a little about yourself, your experience with McGraw-Hill, and of course, most importantly, the job that you do for us and for students and instructors? Thank you, Valerie. I'm really happy to be here and hope I can share some great things with our listeners. I am an educator by trade and began working uh, here in McGraw-Hill 30 years ago when teaching jobs were limited to non-existent. I've held positions in customer support, sales, and marketing. But in the past nine years, uh, I began working in accessibility. I jumped at the chance to make a difference. Oh, that's awesome. I, I just learned something new about you. I did not know that you were in education before coming to McGraw-Hill. So it's always fun on these episodes where you get to ask these these questions. So we are very lucky to have you as an extension of our product team, Lisa, but all product teams across McGraw-Hill. So you have a lot on your plate. Um, And you really do have a passion for what you do, even in when we've had happy hours or side social things, you still are talking about it, which is so awesome. So tell us more about just the heart that you have for accessibility. Oh, yes. Um, Valerie, I I really want all students to have the ability to succeed. So when this position opened up and it was was at the ground up, I was so excited to do something that would make a difference. Um, And at the time, our organization was really thinking about what is digital accessibility. And for our listeners out there, I wanted to let them know um, really by definition what it is. And digital accessibility is the ability of a website, a mobile application, an electronic document to be easily navigated and understood by a wide range of users, including those users who have visual, auditory, motor, or cognitive disabilities. So in my role, I work closely with higher education institution, um, accessibility and disability service departments, faculty and administration together we collaborate on how we can best meet the needs of students who may use specific technologies or need ultimate, uh, alternate arrangements to access our platform tools and content. And as you know, there is no one size fits all when it comes to how students learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and it's, it's obvious you have a, a strong role to make things better for all students. And gosh, we appreciate that because we in our roles, we're always trying to create the next best thing in technology, but uh, we want to make sure that it, it is for all students. So you've seen a lot of progress from in your position, like how digital has changed the way students learn and what you've w- witnessed even in the last couple of years. So has there been, what changes have you seen over the last couple of years with, especially even now with people going online more often? Oh, yeah, there's been a big shift. Um, And for any of your listeners out there who've been in the classroom for many, many years, they might remember remember things like transparencies and test banks were black and white and everything was print. 
um, you know, there has been a shift to online learning and it's continuing to grow. Um, it's really transform education. You know, students today are very well versed in technology. Uh, they're used to cell phones. They're on YouTube. They're playing video games. Um, so students today, the learners they are today, they want options. And over the past few years, McGraw-Hill has really transformed how we look at education and technology. As an example, we've created adaptive tools to support learners no matter where they are in their learning journey. And as a company, we're really here to support those students. So no matter how they prefer to learn, we want to be there for them. But it's important to also know that, you know, we're also there for the educators, whether face-to-face, hybrid, or online. Um, you know, it, it really encompasses everyone collaborating together. Yeah. So as you said, with the hybrid and being fully online with like the last 18 months, even with the onset of everyone moving in the wake of COVID, tell us a bit about that. How did accessibility play into even that shift? Have you been more busy since that shift has happened? Uh, I I would say yes. I would say definitely. Could you get more busy? I Uh, guess is the question. Could you even get more busy? Always. (laughs) Always, always. Well, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, it's not just the students. With the shift to online, digital accessibility obviously became more important. Um, You know, we have to keep in mind, and not all the viewers may be aware, but, you know, a lot of disability um, offices at institutions, you know, they rely on meeting face-to-face with students. So going online for them as well um, brought new challenges. Um, Students who needed tutors, or, or mentors, perhaps, to assist with reading, as one example, now it had to be done online. And we can't forget the faculty. You know, many faculty during COVID were forced to move online, and they may have never taught online, and, and it's a different learning environment. So, you know, McGraw-Hill is not only here to support the students, but we're also here to support faculty in making that transition. And that's something really um, that we've always done, but it, it became even more prevalent um, with the quick switch due to COVID. Yeah. Well, in a discipline discipline like uh, anatomy and physiology and all of the life sciences, it's been really important to do labs online. And so when we built, so switching gears a little bit to talk a little bit about product, uh, one of the top considerations that we had um, and when we were building the new Connect Virtual Labs is we were so grateful to be able to make them up to the WCAG 2.0 standards and with a VPAT, which means they're compatible with screen reader and keyboard navigation. Could you talk a little bit about what CAG is and if I'm even pronouncing that right, and a VPAT? A lot of times instructors are not familiar with those terms, but it's more at the administration level where they like to have those particular documents or uh, standards. Absolutely, um, because it, it can be a little bit overwhelming. You know, when I first began working, um, you know, with accessibility, I myself had to learn what everything meant, um, and and it's still a learning process as different technologies come about, browsers get updated, it all, always changes the user experience. But first, I wanted to say that the work that the anatomy and physiology team has done, um, Val, has been phenomenal. Um, when I first heard about the virtual labs being completely 
reauthored and reimagined from what they were previously. I was ecstatic to hear about the the approach and really the commitment to accessibility um, for the learner or for the faculty, excuse me, and others who may be joining today. One of the things that really impressed me was, you know, we do have a video that's available through you and and through your counterparts showing someone with a screen reader being able to use a lab. And that is such a powerful tool for not only, you know, faculty to be able to see, but people with disability services who are supporting those students who may be using assistive technology. So I wanted to, I definitely wanted to say that because um, I'm very proud of the work that you've done. So we come to these guidelines on VPAT, WCAG, Section 508. Um, you know, if Section 508 is part of the Rehabilitation Act of, of 1973, so I really wanted to bring that up first because it requires agencies during procurement, development, maintenance, or use of communication uh, technology to ensure that individuals with disabilities have access to and can use the information and data. And data. Um, there's other Section 504. Um, we're all familiar with, with the American with Disabilities Act. But in general, it's really saying my, you know, all, all individuals need to have access to the content. Um, when we look at the voluntary product accessibility template, which is um, what is called a VPAT, it's a tool really to document a product's conformer conformance with the accessibility standard of Section 508. So what we most often hear from universities is my procurement department or our communication technology department, before we decide to use McGraw-Hill's technology, we need to see the VPAT. Now, I will say it's a very technical document, and it really is not meant for everyone because um, the guidelines in and of themselves, um, they can be confusing to someone who's not used to the to the technology written. Um, we obviously supply VPATs. Uh, we have VPATs for um, most of our platforms and tools, and, and they're readily available. They can work with their McGraw-Hill uh, representative to get those. Um, but often institutions are going to hear about WCAG, uh, and that is how it's pronounced, W-C-A-G. It's a web content accessibility guidelines, and they mirror very closely to Section 508. But it's technical, step-by-step uh, -step technical requirements on how to make websites, digital properties accessible. Um, and, there, and there's a checklist. Um, so when you are creating content, creating tools, creating a platform, uh, you try to follow these guidelines. And it could be um, all descriptions for images. And what that means is that if I'm blind and I'm using a screen reader technology, in the code, it's going to tell me what that image is. It's going to verbalize that to me. Um, so no longer will I have to go and, and not know what these images are. Um, that's just one of the guidelines. But um, again, administration will often require a VPAT, um, but it's important, you know, that we just let, let, our, let our listeners know that we do follow the guidelines, uh, the WCAG guidelines, when we develop our products.
Yes. And even most recently, uh, we're always investing time and energy into anatomy and physiology revealed APR and the next generation of accessibility there. We've worked with you and we're continuing to kind of get that up to speed. How, how do you ensure with our teams uh, when we're building these that we follow those? Is it, do you just provide that checklist that makes sure that we are following that? Great question. Um, I wish I could be more involved, um, but I spend the majority of my time working so closely with your customers that I can't be involved in the technical as much. Um, we recently hired an assistive technology specialist who actually comes from higher ed, and awesome. uh, she's been an invaluable resource. So um, she's there to provide guidance, but we also have amazing um, product managers who uh, are becoming increasingly more um, more versed in accessibility to provide guidance. And I do work with them very closely. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there's something that we're looking at um, as an improvement to one of our platforms. And I'm supplied, um, I have supplied rather the product manager uh, with a list of individuals and institutions who could provide us feedback and additional guidance which is so important to get people involved who are either using the technology or supporting individuals who use that technology. We also have a great team of uh, UX designers in our digital product group, and we have great relationships with third-party vendors who will audit our products and then provide feedback to, to indicate um, either great, it works well, or provide guidance on how we can make improvements to our coding to increase the accessibility of the product for all. Oh, that's awesome. And you mentioned the product manager. So shout out to Matt Garcia. I know he has learned so much about accessibility with APR and is really striving to get it up to the highest standards possible. So yes, thank you. So you mentioned other assets. What other assets have you worked on at McGraw-Hill? Probably all of them, but Anything with the smart book and ebook, um, I know that those are obviously key to ensure that that content is accessible for all students. Is there anything specific with any other assets across McGraw Hill that you'd like to kind of talk about accessibility toward them? Oh, absolutely. Um, our PowerPoints, as an example, was a big lift. Um, publishers in general, we had a way that we we create a PowerPoint very visual. Lots of images, lots of charts, lots of graphs. Um, and, you know, we were at that, that kind of intersection of, you know, we need to make sure our PowerPoints are accessible. Now, you may, um, you may wonder why it's a tool the instructors use. Well, if a tool is going to be used in the classroom, that tool needs to be accessible or their product needs to be accessible. If I'm a blind student or a visually impaired student and the PowerPoint's being showed in class, I may not be able to see them very well. So an instructor can provide those PowerPoints to me as part of an accommodation. So they need to be created so I, as a student with the impairment, the visual impairment or, or being blind, can access them. So that entailed the things like adding all descriptions for images, making sure that the reading order is correct. So a student using a screen reader when they tab will go to the correct location on PowerPoint. And, and we'll be on, I'll be honest, um, it's, um, 
it's ever changing. Uh, if you're using 2019 PowerPoint, the experience is going to be different than if you use PowerPoint 2016. Um, so we're working through those. Um, we've reached out actually to Microsoft and have had conversations with them. So that's what I mean by collaboration. Um, you know, for instructors on on this podcast, for example, who use learning management systems, there is no perfection. Um, so Canvas, D2L, Blackboard, we're all continually making improvements to our products such as tools and content. It's, it's, it's a constant process. Our eBooks, you know, have all subscriptions for images. Um, and I, I definitely worked on that very early on. But, you know, we also, you know, in a partnership and working with UX designers, realize the importance of the read aloud functionality. Because, you know, we often think of disability as something we can see. But there are those hidden disabilities. Dyslexia is a great example. So read aloud functionality for a student with dyslex who um, is dyslexic can really help that student learn because they can hear the book as opposed to reading the text. Yes, and even the highlight colors. Um, and that's the same when in APR, like being able to change the different colors of highlights for color blindness. Absolutely. And colored blindness is not something that a student um, who has is necessarily going to the accessibility office at the institution and, and state that they need help. It may be something that they've just, you know, they've been able to work around with. So that, that would be another what I would call hidden disability um, mm -hmm. that everyone needs to be aware of. Yes. And one, um, when we were talking about virtual labs earlier, some of my favorite stories come from instructors. So it is so wonderful that we're getting feedback. I always say that you as instructors are the experts out there and we can only make the changes based on stories and feedback from you. One of my favorites is I couldn't go into the microbiology lab because it was dangerous. So being able to do the labs online was a huge opportunity. So that might be another kind of hidden disability where they might not be able to do a lab. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so many benefits uh, to the lab. And we actually presented the lab at a disability conference. And the feedback uh, was remarkable uh, because they've been looking for something. Online labs, as you know, being on the product team, Val, have, have really um, have moved swiftly. And so being able to make sure that they're accessible to all is, is just such a huge development. And uh, I just can't say enough about the feedback that I've heard at my end. And I know that the team um, is not going to stop there. You're always continuing the journey. Yes. Oh, that's so awesome. So these advancements are just truly remarkable. So thank you for all that you do, Lisa. And I know that you love your job, but what's your favorite part about working at McGraw-Hill? And what do we get you know, to, to share with instructors and students everywhere? Well, I, I think for me, obviously, I love the people. Uh, we we just have great relationship as an organization. But taking that and it that it, it correlates and it, and it goes out to the faculty and to the students is we don't work in a bubble. That we are here to work together. So if somebody can't answer a question, they're going to somebody else for a question uh, to get the answer. And it truly is a collaboration. 
uh, I'm working with an institution uh, right now on an accommodation, and there's two of us involved in-house working with four people at that institution um, and and doing some hand-holding together and trying things out. That's what it is. That's what McGraw-Hill is about. It's, It's an ongoing commitment. It's not a one and done. It's not about getting their business. It's about making sure that the faculty is put in the best position to have an amazing class and making sure the students are being as successful as possible. Yes. Oh, our jobs sure are rewarding. So, um, and also since this podcast is for the AMP instructor, do you have any advice that you might give instructors when they're thinking about accessibility? Sometimes it's not in the forefront. It might be an afterthought. Is there anything that you would advise them when they go into their classes this fall to, to start thinking about when it comes to accessibility? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's little things that, that they can do. For example, if they're going to post their syllabus, uh, use universal design, making sure that they're not using acronyms, uh, small sentences, uh, you know, short sentences, easy to read, um, not adding images, you know, putting things in bullet form. That's just great universal design. And um, you know, when you're creating a PDF or a Word document that, that's accessible and, and posting it to your LMS, you're going you're gonna to ensure that all students are going to be able to access it. More and more institutions are requiring faculty members to do that. Creating accessible PowerPoint um, is another one. And really, videos with captions is another big one. Um, and remember, um, you know, captions aren't just for those with hearing hearing loss or, or for individuals who are deaf. Some people prefer to utilize captions because they're in a noisy environment. Um, I use captions a lot um, when I need to go through something and I'm in the middle of traveling. So again, accessibility is about usability. Good design benefits everyone. So whatever instructors are doing, um, utilizing the best design and best practices is making a better experience for all their students, not just a student with a particular disability. And that really is the key. We don't want, we don't want instructors feeling like accessibility is a bother because it's not. Accessibility really is everybody's business. We want everyone to succeed. I talked today to a colleague and I said, what would I do if I lost my eyesight tomorrow, given my current role in the organization? Um, you know, there are students who have been born with a disability and there are students who now have a disability. Um, you know, maybe late in life eyesight. Um, you know, I, I have to use my browser and I have to make things bigger because I have bifocals. (laughs) So um, many people listening to this podcast probably have some form of a disability. And if not, they will at some point in time. But um, I I do want to remind everyone um, that while, you know, I gave some basics on what they can do to ensure they have, um, you know, a more accessible course, don't be afraid to work with McGraw-Hill. That's what I do. Uh, and I partner um, with with product teams such as such as Uval to provide the best user experience. And um, 
you know, we, we just want faculty to know they're not alone. Yes. Even like if you mentioned the, like you, you're not always born with a disability, even if you broke your arm and you couldn't use your mouse, for example, like things like that can just pop up. <clears throat> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, there, there are so many things to consider. And I know when I started in accessibility, you know, what comes to mind is, you know, the, the mobility, um, you know, hearing loss, but it's so much more. And there are ways that we can provide content and information to individuals um, that, you know, while it might benefit somebody who has vision loss, it's going to also benefit somebody who prefers to learn a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and really, isn't that, isn't that what learning is? Is, is there's no one size fits all. It's how we prefer uh, to learn so that we can be the best that we can be. I think the quote of the day is accessibility is usability. I love that. That's a really great. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, Lisa, this has just been awesome. Thank you so much for your time with us. And any last words? I know you've shared so much great stuff in this um, 20 minutes or so. Is there anything that you just want to leave us with? It would really be um, great if instructors would reach out to their disability services office. Now, it could be called disability services. It could be called student success. could be accessibility. It could be in their IT department. But it's really, really um, advantageous to reach out to them. They could provide a lot of guidance to faculty on best practices. And, and they could really, you know, become a, a source of just joy because they do have so much information. I've worked with many um many uh, folks that that sit in those departments and their knowledge is incredible. Their passion to support uh, the students is is phenomenal. So get to know those folks. Um, They could be your best advocate. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you, Lisa. And thank you for all of this wealth of information. Thank you to all of you out there listening to Succeed in A&P. And if you like this episode, leave us a review. In fact, to start off the fall semester, I know you might need a little extra caffeine. I know I do. So if you leave a review after this episode, I'll send you a $25 Starbucks gift card. So simply email me the review after you've submitted to Valerie.Kramer at mheducation.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher for more AMP inspiration. 